I'm John Watson, and this is Darby Jones. Welcome to the MyCom Podcast. We're a couple of marketing nerds who want to help churches tell their stories with efficacy and vitality to their communities and to the world. So today we're going to talk a lot about what it means to be an entrepreneur and how we can take the entrepreneurial spirit and kind of bring it to leverage to bear on the church and benefit it in that way. So does the church need more entrepreneurs at heart? I think we do. So let's talk a little bit about what an entrepreneur is, and we'll explore together how they can apply to church communications and marketing. So I think uh, entrepreneur.com, one of the writers there, summed it up that an entrepreneur is a starter and a driver. I think that's a good synopsis of the whole concept. Now, it is a little bit of a, if you look up a definition in the dictionary, it might say owner of a business or a founder or something like that. But I think that it's taken on a different connotative meaning in the marketplace and that entrepreneurship goes all the way down to all sorts of people and all sorts of roles. But ultimately, I think it comes down to these three things, vision, strategy, and execution. An entrepreneur sees the destination, they find the road, and then they lace up the shoes and walk it. And I think that's really what it takes. And I think we need that in the church. And if someone doesn't have those skills, you can come up with a team that is able to do all those things. So you don't have to feel like you're everything. Yeah, yeah. That's why you have a community to support and lift you up. That's a great point. I mean, you know, we're going to look at some of the characteristics and traits of an entrepreneur today. And if you have all of these, then you should probably come and be interviewed on the podcast because you'd be a superhuman. It's pretty rare to get a combination to get one person just to package deal with <laughs> with the perfect entrepreneurial spirit. So as we go through the podcast, definitely be thinking about who you know in your church circle that embodies some of these traits and how that you could bring them together to collaborate onto carrying the vision of the church forward. But that's vision is really the first thing that I think we should talk about. It's an entrepreneur sees something bigger than what other people can see sometimes. They see a picture of a completed thing, and then they start to do the hard work of figuring out how to get there. So an entrepreneur needs vision, but they also need the ability to communicate it. An example of that might be, let's say a pastor notices that he's got a lot of elementary age kids in the church. He would see that and say, wow, our church must value children. There must be something that we're offering kids. Or, you know, We've got these great activities. Let's take that a step further and, and develop a ministry, uh, a great VBS program or something. Yeah. yeah, it's to be able to recognize the strengths in your church and drive that forward into right. the future. To see where those threads end, like see the end of the road mm-hmm. that your church is already on. Another example might be a pastor who is in maybe a gentrified neighborhood and sees this vision of a church that embodies gospel racial reconciliation, a church that's truly multicolored, multi-ethnic, multicultural in the body. But then he looks at his congregation and says, we have a long way to go. An entrepreneurial spirit sees that end vision and says, all right, what do we have now? And how do we get from point A to point Z, right? And then he might start on a certain teaching ministry. He might have events and find those next steps to to walk the church towards the end goal. It takes an element of bravery to set a vision forth for your church. When you step out and say that I've got a vision and I need to get this communicated and I need to bring people along here, 
it can sound a little bit prideful. It can sound like, um, I know best. I, I'm the one with the way forward. Follow me. So how do you walk that tension as a church leader? I think the best way is to rally people around, not you, but around the vision itself. Mm. Rally them around the heartbeat of the church. Don't make you the focus. Make the vision the focus. And I think you'll find that as you bring the right people in and you you kind of cultivate that culture and as you, you nurture them up along the way, that you're actually going to get swept up into something mm-hmm. that's a, even bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. That you're going to be swept in that movement toward the vision. And I think if you've included them in the research gathering to begin with, mm-hmm. uh, they'll be more likely if, – if you do surveys – asking them about the vision of your church, asking them what their strengths are as a congregation, informing them of the demographics of your community, and making them aware of everything before you dive into the vision, and this is where we're going. So it's that upfront work that brings everybody together. Right. Absolutely. So that brings us to the next part, which is entrepreneurs have a willingness to take the next smart step and then to learn from it. So here's an example. There was a church with a mediocre website, and the church wanted to do a complete website overhaul, but they also needed to update their staff listings. They also needed to put up their small group meeting times on the thing and put a quick contact form up on the website. When the tech guys said to the leadership team, let's go ahead and make these changes, the leadership team said, well, we want to wait and do it all at once in one broad sweep, right? Redo the whole website, the whole design all the content, all the copy, all the media, everything. So they waited, and it took a really long time. And they missed out on all of the contacts they could have been getting through the contact forms. They missed out on all the people who could have been joining small groups through the website. They missed out on people connecting with and engaging and feeling more welcomed into the church by learning who the leadership are and what they care about. They missed out because they, they weren't willing to take the action, to take the next smart step and to learn from it. So there's a, there's a concept in the business world called shipping. And uh, it has nothing to do with sending things in the mail or, or ships or anything like that. Um, but the maxim is ship first, improve later. The idea of shipping is crucial to an entrepreneurial environment. To ship something is to get it out the door in the hands of your target audience as quickly as possible. It's a mentality that says, I can't afford to sit on this and perfect it. I just need to get this out there and we can perfect it later. Because the reality is only a fraction of any entrepreneur's ideas will ever catch on or succeed. So in light of that, none of us have the time to perfect each new idea before we send it out into the world. Because at the end of the day, you're going to fritter away all of your time on the bad ideas, right? Mm, mm. So you need to ship it, get it out the door. We need to implement quickly, start collecting data, numeric or anecdotal, so that we can quickly determine whether the ideas have any weight to them or not. Because ultimately, the time and the attention that we can give to an idea is one of our greatest assets. Right. So as, if you have, yeah, if you have a hundred ideas and only five of them are brilliant, and you spend all your time perfecting every idea, you won't ever get to the the brilliant ideas because you'll fail miserably before that. Right. You'll and, be out of time. You'll be out of energy, and you'll just be disheartened by seeing a lot of failure. So instead ship the idea, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and let your congregation uh, critique and troubleshoot and perfect those good or bad ideas. And and they'll sort of expedite that process for you. You don't have to perfect everything before you release them. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And so what this might look like in a church is if you are uh, working with the worship team to try to figure out whether the order of service that you have right now is the best order of service or not. Do you do three songs before the sermon and two after, or two before and four after? When do you put the offering, et cetera, et cetera, right? Just try something, right? That might be your next step right now. You might just ship it and just try something and see how it goes. See because people react. Exactly. It's not life or death. These things are important and they matter. But if you, you can debate in committees all day long, and we all fall into these traps that we, we just over-debate on these things and we just stall and we don't do something and it costs us. So not only do entrepreneurs ship and improve later, but they're willing to take an action and see it fail. I think that's important. Richard Branson's the CEO, founder of Virgin Airlines and all of those other brands that come along with that. And he's got an interesting story. He was, he was on his way to the Virgin Islands for some sort of vacation. And I, I don't remember the exact details, but his plane got booked up or something and he wasn't able to make it. So he chartered a private plane and he bought all the seats on it, like 20 seats or something. Got a cardboard box and wrote on the side of it, Virgin Airlines, $25 a ticket. <laughs> and he walked around the airport and he sold out this charter plane and it worked. And it was kind of a bad idea. It may not have even been legal. I'm not entirely sure, <laughs> but it worked. He took a risk and he said, I might lose a few hundred dollars. But what did he gain? He, he gained a, a billion dollar company wow. end of the day. Like he's created this thing out of this one idea. It took shape and it grew and he saw a vision and he chased it down. But he was willing to take the risk. He was willing to see it fail. And I think that we all have to approach our ideas and our visions, honestly, with that mentality of, it's okay if this doesn't work because the lesson you're going to take out of it is going to be extraordinarily valuable, as trite as that might sound. You know what makes a successful owner of a startup? The only difference between them and regular people like us is that they just do it. That's, that's really it. Just doing it is half the battle. Maybe it's 90% of the battle. It's just somebody who's willing to say, yeah, there's risks, but you know what? I'll never know if I don't just give it a shot. And I think my mentality personally is to sit and wait for that one really good idea. And my mentality is, well, as soon as I have that really good idea, then I'll do it, right? But a really successful entrepreneur in the marketplace, they act on all of the ideas or more of the ideas than one. They don't wait for that one perfect idea. They say, I've got 30 mediocre ideas, but what happens in the startup world and this is what happens in the church world too. You start down a path and you're committed and you're focused and you're all in and it doesn't work, but you develop something that gives you a new perspective on what will work. And so that's why most startups, when they're successful, if you look at all the startups that made a million dollars last year, they're generally not doing what they started doing when the company started. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They discover a new path, they discover a new vision along the way, and they discover what works and what doesn't work through taking action and failing and being totally cool with that. Yeah. And that's not to say beforehand that they don't do research and they right. don't create a business plan and they don't do the cost-benefit analysis and stuff. You know, there are steps that you need to take, and we talk about that a lot in MyCom and uh, being prepared. But in the end, you have to take that calculated risk. Yep. Definitely. And I think that's one of the other crucial things that I've especially observed in the entrepreneurs that are in my life. They have this ability, an uncanny ability, 
to look at any given situation very, very quickly, assess the risks, do kind of a cost-benefit analysis mm-hmm. in their head, sometimes subconsciously. I think they would call it intuition or gut. And then they just make a decision and they do something. It's the decision makers that succeed at accomplishing their goals. And the people who vacillate on making decisions don't get there. Or they might get there really slowly and maybe it's a little too late. And maybe that decision maker has people on their team that that troubleshoot. But in the end, they're making the decisions and they've had a past track record of making good decisions right. and, and it sort of paying off. For sure. But, but you might have a troubleshooter, a devil's advocate, help you refine processes and make sure that you're not making bad decisions. Definitely. And if you are trying to do this in a vacuum, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, every church has to have a core team of people who are carrying the vision forward and who are working together with great communication. It is absolutely crucial. And that is another one of the great things about an entrepreneurial spirit is that it creates a family around an idea. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just huge. Entrepreneurs are familial. They have a familial quality. They have a knack of taking the people around them, onboarding them to the vision, nurturing them, and turning them into a tight-knit family. And then within that family, you have the ability to identify people who have the potential to be new leaders and to raise them up and to train them. Formal or informal internship programs can be an awesome way in these kind of family church settings to recognize and further equip emerging leaders. They need guidance. They need encouragement. So whether you're the senior pastor or you know, the communication staffer or the techie, you've got to be thinking about who's going to relieve your workload when you grow, when your ideas succeed, yeah. or who's going to take your place when you leave, or maybe more fundamentally, how can you just help this person succeed at what they're passionate about? Mm-hmm. How can you serve them by leading them? Yeah. You know, I think that's a huge thing. So we've already talked about in this podcast, leaders, communicators, analyzers, troubleshooters, communicators. And so um, in the description, I'm going to add a couple of my articles about uh, using personality tests and strength finder tests to uh, build your team because it it really helps to find everybody's niche and strength and let them figure out what their role is based on that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, using those tools – when you figure out what the people's strengths are and you figure out how you can give them roles that challenge them and roles that let them succeed, and there has to be a balance there, then you know how to delegate, right? Then you can look at what's on your plate and you can figure out how to, it's not offloading work, by the way, it's a way to honor somebody. Because good leaders delegate, stuffy leaders tell everyone by their actions that no one can do it better than they can. It stifles blossoming leaders, it discourages others who are gifted, and it bogs you down with work It's not a helpful thing for you. It's not a helpful thing for the people that you work with. So good entrepreneurs are willing. In fact, good entrepreneurs love to delegate. And when you delegate, it allows you to have an entrepreneurial sense of focus. Singularity of focus on the task at hand is wildly important for an entrepreneur. They have no lack of creative ideas, but focus and discipline are necessary to pick the ones that will most advance you to the end goal and chase it down with all you've got. Once I was talking to a a seminary professor, and I was in seminary and working full-time and working on staff at a church and very busy. I had a young kid. My son had just been born. And I asked him, how do you balance work, church, life? And he goes, balance? 
You don't balance it. To balance it is to do everything poorly. You pick the thing in front of you and you throw yourself at it until it's done. So you might neglect your school for a while to be with your family and give them your undivided attention. But then you might say, okay, family, I need tomorrow to give school my undivided attention. And that's how he recommends kind of navigating the waters there. And I I agree with him. I think it's a very helpful mentality. I wonder, though, just because there are different personality types, if that just worked for his personality type. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just putting forth this idea. Maybe yeah. certain people can balance different things and that's what works for them. I, I totally. mean, I don't know. You do have to be sensitive to the people around you. But I think especially when you're talking about ideas, um, people are way more dynamic. But if you have five projects on your plate, mm-hmm. let's say each project is a glass that's empty and you've got a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. You can either fill one glass or disperse a little bit of water into five glasses. None of those glasses are going to get filled with the amount of water you Mm -hmm. have. So you can fill a glass or you cannot fill five glasses. It's always better in that kind of work context to finish a thing rather than burn out on the way to finishing five things. Gotcha. It's like, you know, you could do five jobs half as good or you could do a couple really, really well. Yeah. That kind of goes against the multi tasking narrative that we've been taught right. you know, that, that multitasking is this great strength, you yeah. know, but can people actually do it well? Right. I don't know. I, yeah. I've read some interesting articles about that where certain people types have kind of an uncanny knack to switch rapidly between things at hand and give the appearance of multitasking and really do well at it. But I, f- I think it's the rarity. Yeah. I think most of us do better giving something our attention. But of course, like I said, we're complicated, nuanced creatures. Right. <laughs> Sometimes my wife will say something to me and I'll, I'll be thinking of something so intensely and uh, she knows by now not to get mad at me when I ignore her because she knows <laughs> in a matter, it might be 10 seconds, might be 20 seconds, I will answer that question. Yeah. But I'm so focused on that one thing that yeah. if I divert my attention. <laughs> Absolutely. But she knows it's coming. She's that's why my wife hates it when I play the guitar at home. If uh-huh. I get out my guitar and start playing, she starts talking to me and I don't respond because I'm playing. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing her and I'm thinking about what she said, uh-huh. but I, I just don't have the ability to speak and play the guitar at the same time. <laughs> so I have to stop doing one and start doing the other. So I, I kind of quit playing guitar at home for a while. <laughs> <laughs> see, see what happens when yeah, you multitask? Exactly. <laughs> But if you're understaffed or even staffed adequately and working on implementing, let's say, a new small group structure, a new projection system, changing the format of the youth ministry, and launching an over-50s ministry all in one summer, you as a church might need to slow down, take a breath, pick a thing that advances the vision, and focus on it with all your might. Direct all your team's energies to it. Do that one thing really well, then move on. Yeah. We've got an article called Prune Your Programs to Grow, and it's talking about pruning the 20 or 30% of the programs that aren't doing so well so that you can focus on that new ministry investment. And it's it's so important. Absolutely. So one other thing that entrepreneurs bring to the table that I don't want to miss is that entrepreneurs in the business world strive to be leaders in their space. Here's the challenge for the church. Are we trying to be at the top of our game Are we trying to be the best in the industry? Pastors, are you working to be the best preacher your church has ever heard? Com and tech staff and volunteers, do you know your equipment, techniques, and methodology 
so intimately that you could publish on it? Why not? What's keeping us from that level of excellence? We talked before in a previous episode about honoring the Lord with kind of a a ministry of competence or excellence in our work. And I think that we are called to that in the church and with whatever task is at hand. Why not invest yourself so in it that you excel, you help your church with the excellence, you serve, you honor the Lord with your excellence, and you can even find blogs that talk on the topic and ask if you can contribute an article, you can jump on a podcast, publish your own blog, do whatever to, you know, put up a website, but help advance the excellence of your thing, whatever your thing is, whether it's slideshows or preaching or e-marketing for churches or whatever. Why not be a leader in your space? Paul had a methodology in his ministry in the New Testament where he became all things to all people. He preached with conviction and excellence that by any means he might save some. He, he put his all into it, into polishing what this thing was that he had to say into his message. He was an incredible communicator, an extraordinary communicator, a great model for us to look to and see how did he communicate to the culture around him, to his milieu. And I think that we, it's in the Bible because that's not what we naturally do. That's not our, our bent is to not invest everything in it. It is to not strive for excellence. And so we have the model of Paul who says, my message is worth it. Churches, your message is worth it. Your message is worth refining your technique for, refining your message, refining your website, your Facebook. It's worth all of those things. So we're not selling a product. We're not selling a Kirby vacuum to you. We're helping you through clear communication. We're helping our communities find life. The greatest story ever. The greatest story ever that we're a part of. There's nothing more important than that. There's nothing better than that. It absolutely deserves our excellence. Sometimes people think worship comes off as a show. Yeah. And they don't like that um, maybe it's just the emotion of the music that Mm -hmm. it is yep. leading people to come to Christ or something. Yep. But it all depends on where the heart is. If the worship leader has a heart for God and it's God-centered, then um, everything will be fruitful. But Fruitful fog machines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we are called to give God our first fruits, right. and I think it's perfectly fine for a worship leader to strive for that perfection mm-hmm. and to honor God in that way. Play excellently. Yeah, to play excellently. And and if that excellence comes off as a show, you really have to determine where the heart is of that yeah. worship leader to, to really make a, a judgment, sure. you know. And, and really the way that we can help people see our hearts in this, whether it's leading worship or whether it's the way that we write an email from the church, is really good communication. It's mm-hmm. improving our communication skills so that we can share our heart with them so that they begin to see with more honesty and clarity the true state of our hearts and our real desire, our real passion. And that's part of what it means for an entrepreneur to bring people along in their vision, to rally people around a vision, is that they see the heartbeat of it. I think that's just crucial. So a lot of churches are going to be suffering from stagnation of one sort or another. A a lot of churches have a vision, have an end goal that they see in sight, and there are roadblocks in the way, and they just have inertia and they can't get over them. I really believe that bringing an entrepreneurial spirit to bear on your church, whether it's through you, if you are gifted in these ways, 
or whether it's through an assembly of a team of people that represents kind of an entrepreneurial mindset. Team, yeah, the mindset, it can go a very long way to overcoming these hurdles and fighting that kind of bog of procrastination and the lack of clarity and just the general kind of malaise that can happen. So own these qualities in yourself, whether you're a formally recognized leader or not, and it can help you overcome a lot of hurdles and move on to the next big thing for your church. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't want that? There's a lot of articles on MyCom that are helpful in, in leadership qualities and promoting those and in communication techniques and helping you become excellent in your field. And let me tell you, if you're not subscribed to MyCom right now, you should be. So go ahead to umcom.org slash MyCom. Yes. Yeah, I should know that. umcom.org slash MyCom and sign up. Or you can also get there from umcom.org slash podcast. And... I mentioned before, but in the uh, description of this podcast, I'm going to add some articles, ask the right questions uh, before making ministry investments, you yeah. know, pruning your programs to grow, you know, how to form committees and lead committees. Yep. All these things will help you assemble uh, your team to balance your team so that you don't have too many people on a committee and, and can't ever make a decision. You know, there's an art to yeah. forming and Absolutely. leading a committee. And so all these articles will be in the description to help you guys out. And consider the MyCom staff like your own personal research team of experts at hand. We, we're helping write the playbook here for churches like yours to be able to come as a reference point and say, we've got a situation, what next? Or we need to grow in this area, but we don't know how. We have years and years of incredibly helpful content, incredibly well-researched and well-written, and it's here to help you. So that's what MyCom's there for, and that's what the podcast is here for. Yeah. Any topic you can think of related to marketing, communications, getting your story out there, all sorts of outreach ideas, just take a keyword from whatever you're thinking of, throw it into umcom.org search, and you'll find something helpful. Yep. All right, listener, the ball's in your court. If you've tuned in and maybe this rubs you the wrong way, maybe you disagree with how we've approached entrepreneurship or marketing in the church. If it means something different from your perspective, we would love to talk about that. This is kind of a subjective thing. So we are really excited to hear other perspectives and other input and continue the dialogue forward. So if you have a story of these principles being applied in your church and succeeding or failing, go ahead and send us an email at podcast at umcom.org. Darby and I will read it and we'll be in touch. Or if you just disagree with us flat out, let us know. We want to hear it. Yeah. We've got very thick skin, freakishly thick skin, actually. (laughs) So go ahead and send it on podcast at umcom.org. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And thanks as always. We'll see you next time.